This episode is sponsored by Clio Websites. When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We are back, and this is the HTML All The Things Podcast. Working title today, the React slash Next.js server component drama Mike assures me this is topical. I, I know nothing about this, so I am intrigued, and I'm sure I'll ask a whole bunch of questions that will hopefully be insightful for you. And Mike, of course, has a bunch of information in here that will be insightful as well, of course. So if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server, or share this with your friends. Now, Mike, you have – this is a dramatic, a dramatic intro. Do you have, like, a drum roll or, like – should we be crying? Like, what type of drama is this? Is this like some reality TV? Like, this person stole my car, but in reality, they didn't. Like, you lent it to someone. Like, what are we? What's the drama? What's going on here? I think it's this is a difficult one because I think the drama is overblown by a lot. Um, because it's essentially people are saying that the, the sentiment for React is changing because of what's happening with this server component stuff, which I disagree with some people have even equated it to something that happened with angular a little while ago which is completely ridiculous uh angular went from angular to js to just angular or something like that i could be butchering it essentially from one version of angular to another they changed everything okay angular literally ripped out what they had and put in completely new things so that you could you could not there was no way for you to take a existing angular application and port it into the new version of angular you essentially had to rewrite it from scratch Okay. Wow. Okay. That was the thing that happened with Angular. And people are comparing what's happening with React server components to that, which I think is crazy because it's literally not the case. Um, React server components are still technically optional. And there is a way with a, like a single line of like a single string, especially Next.js, you could make it so that everything that you've written is backported and works perfectly as you wrote it, period. So it's really easy to take a current React application or a previous React application, even for one from like five years ago, and make it work in this new paradigm without some of the features, obviously, but it would still work in the new version of React. So again, just to preface this, I think the the drama is overblown, but I think it is important to, first of all, talk about server components because it is a new paradigm in web development um, or technically like a, a recycling of an, of an older paradigm in a new way. And I think it is important to address some of the legitimate concerns as well that server components do bring to the table uh, for us web developers as a whole. So with that being said, let's talk what are server components. So React, as well as Vue and Svelte, are client-side UI frameworks, right? We've always talked about that, that they're meant for heavy data, like a lot of data changing, a lot of interaction, and... They're meant to replace a lot of your custom JavaScript that you would write or jQuery to make it a little bit easier to build dynamic UIs on the client side, okay? Now, 
a little while ago, uh, frameworks like Next, Gatsby, Nuxt, SvelteKit had come around the corner and they started implementing stuff like server-side rendering. Okay, now server-side rendering is kind of server-based rendering. So again, we're bringing it back to, hey, stuff is happening on the server and it's happening on the client. Okay, so a lot of times the, the rendered stuff will be rendered both ways so that you can you can preserve data flow and interactivity both on the server and the client. Um, that's what server-side rendering brought to the table. It was a huge step in the right in, in, in a direction that allowed you to host kind of in a traditional sense that servers are going to be serving a lot of the HTML, JavaScript, and CSS, but still retain a lot of the dynamic flow of these frameworks. Do you do you have an example of that? Like a like a real example? Like is there like I don't know, uh, like the the header or like the header of a forum or like a, like a forum post? Like what is the like what's the difference? You have like a scenario, hopefully better than my forum example that I just gave, of like where these little bits would be would kind of fit in. Uh, sure. So client client side uh, rendering, let's say an example of that. A good one is a to do app, right? So when you're when you're doing a to do app, you add a you press the little plus button and it adds a to do. All of that is client side JavaScript. Like you're creating that to do. You're not, you could, but you shouldn't send back a request to the server to ask them for the HTML and CSS of the to do. And then the server will respond to with the to do HTML and CSS and only then re render the page with the new CSS, the new HTML, right? That's a way to do it. It's the wrong way because that requires many, many trips back and forth to a server and client. Whereas with the client, the the server will send all of the information that the client needs for creating more elements. Okay, so when someone presses plus, the client, like the JavaScript in your browser, will know what to do with like creating another element without having to reach out to the server. Okay, so that's client side. That's a good way to kind of put client side, I think. Server side rendering is more useful in a situation where let's say you have a blog post where the blog has you know, a header section, it has content, it has some links or whatever, whatever. And in that situation, you technically don't need to send the information of how to generate all that HTML and CSS to the client from the server. You can, and it, it, people do it, like you can client-side render a blog, that's not an issue. But essentially what that means is that when the, when the browser gets the blog page, it doesn't get the HTML and CSS. It gets instructions on how to build the HTML and CSS, and then it builds it based on the data that you send it. Okay. Whereas with server-side rendering, that rendering happens on the server and the client receives HTML and CSS, right? So the H it's already made. So all the client has to do is display it just like a regular web page, like you would do with PHP, like you would do with H HTML, CSS, and JavaScript on an FTP server. It, would, it just receives those files that it needs. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, okay, let me just ask you a question just to contrast it to something that we use or we used um, pretty frequently back in the day, and that was uh, Couch CMS. And Couch CMS, for example, is is kind of – I guess designed in a way, um, to take a static site. So it would be an old, an older school site, usually HTML, CSS, JS, someone builds it out. And then you go in there and you kind of add the CMS to it. So you add like a bit of like template code. Um, you say, Oh, you know, display the header here, display this here, display that here, display this. And you correspond, say the header with the text box and the text box and the CMS. That's obviously like 
going to talk to a database at some point to save it in there. And then the, uh, the headers text, let's just say it's, it's like, uh, a title. Let's just say it's literally just the text title. Um, so the word title goes in there. Is that like kind of a mix? Like that's, because it's like the title is coming from the database, which is, you know what I mean? So like, am I, am I mixing this up? Like this is. Okay, uh, so that's not a mix. Uh, what Couch is doing is more of like server-side rendering and sending the server-side rendered HTML and CSS to the client. Similar to how like Next.js or SvelteKit would do it. That's server-side rendering. So Couch isn't mixing client-side rendering and server-side rendering. It's just doing server-side rendering with some static site generation as well. Okay, so it takes what happens is it takes a call to the database on the server side, pulls in the information on the server side, renders the page on the server, HTML and CSS, and then just sends those HTML and CSS files to the client. Okay. Okay, so the thing I'm getting caught up on, and maybe other people would too, which is why I mention it, is the word render. I keep thinking that, you know, because I'll see HTML, CSS, JS in their default form is just on the client side. And so what I'm getting confused of is I'm like, well, like obviously the page, if it's in that really default simple form, let's say, is being client side rendered because it's all in the client. It's all like, you know, the, the server is kind of like sending it to them, but it's like they're just sending the HTML file, for example, the CSS file, whatever. So that's where I'm getting confused is I'm thinking like, well, who's almost this is kind of foolish, but who's looking at it on the server? To render it, do you know what I mean? I'm thinking of it in in terms of the browser where it's it, the actual page is showing up in front of my eyes. Right, exactly. And, and and it's a good way of thinking about who's looking at it. Well, like no person is looking at it, but the server, the server logic. So Couch CMS is the server logic that's going in and looking at the content and creating the client rendered page that can then be just sent as a whole piece to the, the actual client, the user that's seeing it into the browser. Okay. Okay. So that, I think that's the disconnect, but I think it still makes sense. Like in, in that perspective, you are looking at something is rendering it. It's just this time it's not the browser rendering it with JavaScript. It's just a different form, like a different tool rendering it right before it's sent. And that's the same thing again that Next.js does, that SvelteKit does. That's server side rendering in those situations. Okay. Now, having said all that, we have not talked about server components. This is a slightly different, although similar, method that has come up recently. Server components, uh, first of all, they're, they were introduced in React 18 as, as like Canary or Beta. Uh, and they, these are React components that are meant and meant to be run and generated only on the server. Now, what does that mean? Uh, there's certain things in the client, so in the browser that you can do that you can't do on the server. Okay, so like you don't have access to the to the uh, browser APIs. Like you can't check location. Obviously, you can't. You know, you can't check get user media. You don't know if the person has a camera or not. Like you can't do certain basic JavaScript things on the server that you could do on the client. Okay, so there comes limitations on what you can do in a traditional server side rendered application. The fact that it runs both on the server and the client stops those limitations because whatever can't run on the server will be sent still over to the client and you can still get your location and all that from the uh, JavaScript API on the, right. on the browser. Show your, like, your, show your webcam's image, for example, or something. Correct. But with a server component, everything is rendered on the server and the only thing that's sent to the client is essentially HTML and CSS. 
So the client has no interaction, like the, 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 the code has no interaction with the browser client that okay. is rendered in a server component. So, I mean, you can start imagining what this could be good for and what this could be bad for. There, there's use cases for it and there's use cases against it, just like with every technology. Like if you have a static image or a static page on your website, like an About Us page, that would be a great server component because there's no interactivity. You don't need to know anything about the, the website, stuff like that. Like there's, there's the direct use case for that. And then if you have a page that has a bunch of interaction, then you wouldn't use a server component. The paradigm of server components isn't that it's forced down your throat to use it every single time. It's that this is an option for you to use when you have static content. When you have content that, yes, can still be data-driven in the sense that you can still fetch data on the server, render the page with that fetch data. So if it's a blog post, you could still have it being a server component. Right, because the, the the data fetching happens on the server, just like with Couch TMS that you were mentioning, and the rendering of that page happens on the server. There, there's no need for any browser APIs. You can just generate the HTML and CSS and send it to the client. So, like, so, like, I mean, I presume you're going to talk about how to get access to this, but is this? I mean, I don't know. This is a spoiler, if you will, but is this going to be? a serious problem if you needed say the webcam image like this is like this is not possible which is something like like a simple package that's just like the html and css like you're saying like sure you're in you know your cms of choosing you write your blog post in a rich text thing that gets saved to a database and then the server can see that database and put that rich text like the basically the blog's content into the blog area, the main place where you want to read everything. And so then it can take that because now that's all HTML and whatever else and throw it over to the client. But like if I needed for some bizarre reason for it to also show me the webcam image in the middle of the blog post, you don't have access anymore to that, that uh, endpoint really. Yeah. I mean, I think there is a way like you could tech, like if you just need to show the image of a webcam, maybe you could do that because static HTML, but you couldn't interact with it inside of a React is the problem. So if you needed to like take that webcam image and then, you know, depending on its state, change something in your web application and stuff like that, you couldn't do that. But again, this is an optional thing. This is not something that's forced on you and you don't. And the point of the, the word component here is the fact that it's componentized. So some parts of your application will be, can be server side, a server component, and some parts can be regular React. So you can mix and match. This is the difference now. Like before server-side rendering, you could do, or static site generation, you can do all of the pages as static, okay? Or, or all of the pages as server-side rendered, okay? That's fine. You could do that, but you couldn't mix and match a server component, like a static element, and a client-side rendered component all on the same page. That was... I mean, maybe it, someone could do it, but it was really difficult. Now they're making it a standard. That's something that you can do. So again, you're saving, you're, you're saving certain things that don't need to be interactive. So if you have that get user media example, or you have some sort of example that requires interaction with the React DOM and all that, you wouldn't use a server component for that. That's the key here. You have to understand when to use what. Now, is this, is this about, um, performance? Because, the instant you say to me, oh, hey, you know, you're effectively sending a very simple package to be rendered on the on the user's browser on the client side. Uh, that, that that screams to me like, hey, this is going to be very performant. This is going to get a high Google page speed score. Obviously, I guess there's a bit of um, well, actually, th actually, th there's another question, I guess. So um, every single time, like if it's just 
you know, HTML, all the things.com, let's just say, for example, uh, and we want to use this system with the server components. I mean, are, how often is it rendering? Like, is it rendering, is the server rendering the page and then like keeping a, like a cached or a saved version to serve it? Or every single time, is it like, well, we better regenerate that again and again and again and again and reinvent the wheel every single time to create the exact same thing? That's a, that's the best question. Um, so. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the reason why these things are so great is because it does keep cached versions of them. That is a huge, huge part of why they are a good step in the right direction for web development. Uh, the fact that you can just do like a call, like, and it does this mostly automatically, by the way. The caching part, the caching stuff works hand in hand with how Vercel handles, uh, deployment of these kinds of applications. And we're going to talk about Next.js in a second, because that's how you would actually deploy a production application with server components right now. But essentially, yes, to answer your question, there is caching involved and it's fantastic. And it does reduce the amount of calls you would do your APIs, because if you're going to be caching a component that does have a fetch in it, that component will not fetch until something changes and forces that cache to break. So it's pretty big. Um, so yes, uh, the big thing with these server component stuff is performance. That's for sure a big part of it. It's performance in terms of like rendering on the client because you don't have any JavaScript or a, a very minimal amount of JavaScript that you have to render. You're not sending an entire react renderer function to, to, to the client. Um, there is some nuance here. Like if you have a thousand pages that are all cached on the server and you need to pull those pages I think I saw somewhere that that could impact performance negatively in certain scenarios. So there is some give and take, just like with every technology. For the most part, though, if you use it correctly, and that's the big if, uh, you are probably going to see some performance gains. Um, so yeah, that's, that is the key here. So I think we talked quite a bit about what server components are. Um, and I want to kind of move on to like using server components a little bit and where they're actually possible to use. Because right now in React 18, yes, they are available, but to actually use them in production, because React is a client-side framework first, you need to put a bunch of like your own code in there and a bunch of hacks. It's not easy to use and deploy to a existing React uh, server, like a, a, a server that hosts React and just React. Where this does come into play is the Next.js app router. Now, in Next.js 13, they introduce the app router as a beta feature where it's a completely separate routing experience versus the pages router. There's different kinds of nested layouts you can do and stuff like that. The routing experience is different, but the main thing that I introduced is that any component you create inside of the app router is by default a server component. Okay, so anything that you don't specifically indicate is a client component, a non-server component, is by default rendered on the server. And it was a beta in beta in next next thirteen, and very quickly after that, it came out of beta and is now in stable version in thirteen point four. So it quickly came to the point where Next is like, we're betting hard on React server components. I think everyone was a little bit shocked about that, and I'll talk a little bit about the drama around it because that's part of it a little bit later. 
Now, when creating a new page or layout in an app router, again, you're by default creating a server-side component. It will be rendered on the server, served as pure HTML and CSS with a bit of JS if you need it, okay? It will not be generated on the client by default. You can mix and match server and client components, but only in one direction, and I'll explain. When creating a new component on a page, you can add a string at the top of that page, just like a simple string. There's not a variable or anything. Uh, the string is use client. As soon as use client is on top of a file, a component, a React component in Next.js, it immediately behaves as a standard React component where you can use all of the web browser functionality that you would want. It immediately goes to that route. And any nested component, so let's say your uh, main component is a to-do item and then a nested component inside that to-do item is like a delete button, right? Any of those nested components, even without putting use client on the top, are going to be treated as client components, regular React components, okay? So if a component is inside of a server func a server component, that's just going to be a regular, ch a child component of a server component is going to be a running on in on the client and the server component will be running on the server. So the server component will render everything on the server and then serve the, the JavaScript needed to build the client the child components with its payload. Okay. But you cannot put a server component inside of a use client component. That's the one way that I was talking about. You can only use one direction. So a child of a server component can be a client component but a child of a client component cannot be a server component. It's always going to be a client component. A little bit confusing. And again, this is where people are like, okay, you're starting to lose this a little bit here because this is a, it's a different paradigm. Like they, they, and they went hard into this. Like this isn't something that they're just like, this is optional. No, you are using server components by default now. Deal with it. Now, obviously... Having said that, you could still use the pages router and everything works the same as it did before there. They did not take away the old functionality. You can still, in 13.4 next, you can still build the regular Next.js application that you want. But if you choose to use the now stable app router for the route, the new routing experience or anything, you are using server components. Uh, I have a question here. So um, this might be a foolish question, but how um, in stone is this and how, I guess... The more practical, I, the more practical question, I suppose, is like, what is, how do you switch between the two? So if I like write a component out and I think it's, I think it needs to be server side. So I, you know, write a server component and I finish the entire thing and I don't realize that I need access to the microphone of the, of the client for some reason. Um, and I need it to, you know, also affect something in the React app. Uh, is it just as simple as, you know, I, I compile it and it says, hey, this should be client. And I just change a parameter to client. How involved is it if you make a mistake and you go server and you meant to go client or vice versa? It depends. Uh, for the most part, yes. All you have to do is put that use client string at the top of your component and it'll immediately be a regular React component. Okay. So worst case scenario, yes, like you, that's all you would have to do. But let's say in that component, for whatever reason, you're also doing some authentication. Because again, server components, you can do all the authentication. You can move any sensitive data back and forth between databases, API keys, environment variables, whatever the heck you want. It's not going to reach the client as long as you don't put it in the HTML, 
Okay, so if it's in the JavaScript, you're fine. Um, if you've done that, right, and then you accidentally put a use client on top, then obviously all of your credentials go straight to the client. Oh boy. Okay. So it does. You have to. You have to understand what you're doing. This is a must when you're using something like server components. Does this? Does this like add? more complexity to the situation like i kind of i know you've mentioned that a couple of times but how complex is this getting to the point where are, there, are we going to have to have a lot more testing uh, whether that be automated or human tests where they're going through and looking at things and checking you know page source and seeing if there if there's uh, any sort of credentials being sent over like is this is this a big jump in complexity from say react before this i think I think it is a jump in complexity and this might be a controversial take and I might get flamed for, I don't, it doesn't matter. I think it is a jump in complexity. I don't think it's a huge jump, but it is something you have to cog like mindfully accept as like, Hey, I need to think about things differently. Now this isn't standard react anymore. You can't use like many of the different uh, features of react. You cannot use in server components. The standard use state hooks, use effects, use reducers, context API, like data passing back and forth, like all of this stuff that we've been drilled and like using all the time, all of that like just goes out the window in a server component. So just that alone cognitively is going to hinder some people and it has, and people have been negative about it because like, hey, how can you call yourselves React when 90% of all the, your React stuff doesn't work inside of a server component? And now in Next.js, you're also forcing us to use it by default, right? So I'm, I'm talking a little bit in a negative connotation. I, I personally think that it kind it is the right move. So yes, it does add complexity. Yes, you need to learn it. You need to understand what you're doing to use it which is, okay, some people, like, maybe that is a barrier, maybe it's a gatekeeping of some sorts, which is bad. But for the most part, it's not that difficult to understand as long as you understand the concepts of a server and a, uh, like, a, a front end and a back end, essentially. If you are if you understand the concepts of full stack development, it's not that crazy. Um, you need to spend some time and learn it, but it's not that crazy. And the benefits that you get out of it, I think, do outweigh the 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 negatives of having to learn a new paradigm in development. Um, now, I'm going to preface that by saying I really haven't used a ton of this. I did some testing with it. I built like a small little application just to just to see what these new APIs are and what the new concepts are. And it's not perfect in any way, just like any framework isn't. Um, but I found it to be pretty cool. Like there, there's some really interesting things you can do. And the fact that, again, you can just put use client at the top of any component and it immediately becomes a regular React component, I think is, is a good way to go around this stuff. So if you're having serious issues and you just can't get it to work and you need to get your product out quickly, because that's the negative of this is like you have to learn something new. You might not be able to build as quickly. Just put use client on top or just, I guess, don't use it. Like there, no one's forcing you to use it. You can use the regular pages router. Um, but yeah, like I think the fact that you can opt out is good and it's an easy opt out on any component. Uh, you can even do it on the root layout component. And then as we've said, if you use a use client on top of any component, all of its children are clients. So you can put it in one place and then your entire application is a client side application of uh, server side rendered. Is this going to um, cause 
junior developers to be more and ent- like more are they going to have more access to making a major mistake kind of touching back on that security rule i don't really know how to phrase the question but is it very much like hey this isn't working it's not compiling or it's not running properly i'm just going to put the use client they put the use client in there they're completely unaware of what else was put in there and like so junior developers i mean i've done it uh, i'm sure senior developers do it too to be fair but like you know we, we've published our credentials and then it's like you have, you have to redo your api key or whatever you have to get a new one because you've actually publicly published your old one or something like that right so that would be an example of like a credential or something that you probably don't want other people to see um is this is this opening the door for uh junior developers to make that mistake more frequently and actually junior developers based in a team because even if they're like hey you know i know for sure you know i'm at that point in my career where i know for sure i shouldn't be publishing my own credentials but then they're given a component to work on that they didn't start and they're completely unaware that this thing is going to send out these credentials because they aren't experienced enough or they're and I'm, i mean i'm in the same boat so you know i'm not trying to poke fun at anybody but they're unaware of like a set of credentials or something that are being set like they're not the ones that did it and they're just asked hey can you quickly make you know quickly make this work this way and it's like cool they go in there set a, you know do a couple lines of code and then they deploy it or they whatever and it's like oh we just published our api key good yeah so i would say yes um definitely higher chance of that happening uh, there's no doubt about that Um, just because like, you're also mixing in the fact that you're writing front end code as well, like front end, like, uh, especially layout code inside of your server component file. Uh, it also increases the chance because like you're cognitively like, oh, I'm writing front end. So it shouldn't be a bad thing or it it shouldn't be a problem if I put something here or something like that. But you're mixing the two. Yes, there's a chance, a higher chance of that happening. Hopefully you have systems in place where a pull request uh, like a, a code review will catch that. It's fairly easy to catch those kinds of things. Um, and maybe down the line, React will put in something into the TypeScript checker or something to make sure that it doesn't happen uh, as often or something like that. But yes, uh, as soon as you change paradigms, as soon as you put stuff like server components by default uh, and with a really easy way to opt out of it, you're increasing the chances of someone sharing API keys. There's no doubt about that. I I think there are some benefits to the fact that when they're completely separated, uh, like SvelteKit, for instance, has a serve, like you have to write the word server in your file name for it to be running on the server and only the server. And then you know, like, hey, this is where you do your auth and your data passing from auth to clients and stuff like that. Like that kind of separation for me, for new developers, for junior developers is better, obviously, because it's very obvious where you're writing your code. Um, this is a little bit more ambiguous and, again, requires you to know what you're doing in this ecosystem. It's not something you can just blindly go into and hope to achieve to be successful. This is for sure, another layer on top of React that you have to learn that's th- that makes it a little bit harder. Like the, it's, it's for sure another layer. And again, like I, I asked this recently on Twitter, like for new develop new new uh, React developers, where do you start? Like how do you start learning React? Like do you start with server components? Do you start with regular components? Most people did chime in and say like, just don't worry about server components when you're first starting out. Like learn React as React, learn React as Next.js with the Pages router, and then once you understand the concepts of React, of React, then start to dabble into server components. So like, there is still a progression, and maybe that is the right 
solution because again, throwing in a whole other paradigm as you're learning a framework might be the wrong approach. Um, so yeah, that definitely adds complexity. If you're looking for some help with your website, then look no further than Clio Websites. Clio Websites is a Canadian web design company and digital marketing agency. They help businesses grow by launching beautiful and scalable web design projects. Clio specializes in responsive web design, web development, WordPress website maintenance, e-commerce, and search engine optimization SEO services. They build fast and scalable WordPress solutions tuned for excellent marketing results that will bring in new leads and their websites are fast and can be easily updated and managed by their clients. And their websites can handle millions of visitors every month, which can bring in thousands of leads. They've been doing this since 2006 from their home base in Calgary, Canada. Go check them out for your next web development project via cliowebsites.com. That's C-L-I-O websites.com. Your business deserves a great performing website. Why not work with a great team to get there? I'd, I'd like to say, and, and I won't get into it too much, but I'd like to say that I think we should have, and we have had episodes similar to this, if not actually on this, but we should actually have a, a conversation, a, a, an episode focusing on what is going on with this, I would call it like a leaning Tower of Pisa almost effect, where we're we're flip-flopping things, we're changing things, you know, it's this big stack, and I've, you know, complained and have talked about and discussed, and Mike has done the same thing, about how we're just, like, the community is doing this. This isn't, like, a regulatory body. Like, it's not like the government's coming in and being like, that's it, server components for everyone. Like, no one's no one's doing that. Um, it's like the community is doing this to itself, and I, I, I still, like, I have this, like, sort of sinking feeling every time something comes out where it's like, Part of the sinking feeling is for sure like, oh, great. And I have to like learn something else or be aware of something else. But then the other half of it is not me related at all. It's very much community related in and rooted in the fact that, man, this is getting pretty complex. It's going to be really hard to learn. It's starting to get easy to make mistakes. And then if we start seeing a lot of major mistakes, then we're going to add another layer to prevent the mistakes. And then th that thing might be too restrictive. So then we're going to add several variants of that mistake preventing layer and it's like becoming this thing where our computers are going to be like 14 billion terabytes. That's a that's a dramatization. That's a I'm just saying that for the for effect. But it's starting to become the point where like our um, developer environments, our local developer environments are going to become so, so complex that if one day someone's like, hey, man, like you mistyped one of the headings and it's not in a CMS, it's like a quick little static thing. Like, can you quickly fix it? Oh, sorry. I only have my laptop here and it doesn't have the exact same dev environment. It'll take me about 14 hours to set up my dev environment. Just to be able to just to be able to start taking a look. I don't know whether that's night, like whether I'm too naive or something or I'm not like experienced enough in this stuff to like be, be sounding that alarm bell. But every single time we add a layer, it's it's the same sort of thought process in my head. Uh, I, I get it, but it also that would also stop innovation. And I'm always for innovation and going forward. And again, overall the steps that are taken in server components for me personally, I think are a innovation and are a positive move forward for web development in general. The reason that like, yes, it makes it maybe harder to learn from scratch everything like that just adds on and on. Sure. But as you become more comfortable in the ecosystem and as you become more comfortable with the, 
with the standard components, like if when, once you build a full stack application, for instance, in something like SvelteKit and in something like Next.js, once you have that experience under your belt, learning another little thing on top of that becomes almost a non-issue. You'll go into the documentation, you'll read about it, you'll play, you'll play with it a little bit, and then you just use it. It becomes a extra tool that you would buy from a store and put in a tool chest rather than an entire undertaking of, hey, I need to learn this from scratch and I need to, and it adds complexity and all that. It just it it stops at some point in your knowledge um, curve. So as you're as you're learning, it stops being this thing that makes no sense and is this cloud of uh, of question marks. And starts becoming more of a just a path you can take or a tool in a tool set and just something that might even help you. You start thinking about it in a more positive way. I do, again, for people that are listening to this that are just getting into web development, which I think is a big portion of our audience, I know it sounds a little bit scary to hear about new stuff coming out all the time. I just want to put it into perspective that it's not always going to be scary and it shouldn't be. I, I agree with you in the learning curve where absolutely it's going to be easier for you to learn as you go because you're learning how to learn and then you've now learned how to learn. And so you're able – and then you're also constantly stewing in the web development uh, environment if you're if that's what you're learning primarily. And then you'll be able to learn faster and more efficiently, hopefully. That's basically the idea. That's not – I guess what I'm arguing – I guess what I'm arguing right now is you're saying like it's stifling innovation – but this kind of goes back to our, our, you know, our website's old news article where it's like, are we just innovating the same thing? It's like, hey, we've innovated this again. Hey, we innovated this again. Hey, look, like the exact same page that takes a picture of you and then saves it in a database somewhere from your webcam. We can do it this way. Now we can do it this way. Now we can do it this way. Meanwhile, the rest of the world is is moving forward. And yes, I understand that like the foundational things like we're, we're we didn't stop at the, the horse drawn carriage, you know, we, we, we solved a major problem of like speed and travel and weight being carried like a package being carried with with horse and buggy. And then we eventually got cars and this and that. And that's not a complete history, obviously. But the general idea is there. And so, yes, I do think that the the, the reinvention of the wheel or the innovation of that reinvention of the wheel is going to continue. But it almost seems like in web development, it's the primary focus of the community of just like, hey, we're going to do it this way now. Hey, we're going to do it this way now. And, and then I also have one other thing is this is something that WordPress gets criticized on a lot is are we entering the ah it's just one more plugin ah it's just one more plugin that ah, should be all right one more plugin one more plugin one more plugin oh now it runs like shit okay there's another plugin to make it run better like are we at that point seriously uh i i don't th- th- i don't think that uh, this applies to that one more plugin thing because this is a core feature like this right. isn't a plugin this is something that you just like it would be like part of the core of react um or sorry, part of the core of WordPress. So this wouldn't be treated like that. I think there is some of that happening in the web development space where like all these libraries on top of all these other libraries for sure have a plugin hell feature like associated with it where like it could lead to some serious either performance or security or other issues down the line, but probably not with the React server components. On your first point, um, yeah, you're, you're probably right. Like I'm <laughs> like, we're reinventing the wheel 15,000 times and, uh, not really progressing much in the way of user experience. Like the, for the user at the end of the day, this doesn't matter almost at all. Yes. Some next level engineers, maybe this enables them to build some really complex use case application that they couldn't build before as easily. And maybe that will lead to a better experience for a user that's using this really complex 
application that can take benefit of all these server components. There's probably some edge cases that we're not considering here that this does benefit. Um, but overall, for 99% of the web, I would say, uh, yeah, this is just another way to do something that's already been done a million times. No doubt, no doubt. <laughs> um, just to throw out like when you would want to use a server and a client component, just to round out the server component uh, talk before we get into the drama a little bit. Um, when would you use a server component versus a client component? So there's a really nice little chart and I'll, we'll add it to the show notes that in fact, the next JS team created that shows you and makes this a little bit easier for you to understand. In my opinion, like when I looked at this, I'm like, Oh, okay. This makes more sense. Now this is when I would use it. So for instance, the first one here is like, if you want to fetch data, if you want to just grab some data and use it in some way, shape or form, render a, under a page out, this is a good use case for a server component, right? Any access to a backend resource. So any API call directly that, especially if it requires any sort of API key, again, server component, great use case for that. If you want to keep sensitive information on the server, access tokens, API keys, whatever, again, sensitive data, use a server component. If you keep large dependencies on the server, so let's say you have some sort of crazy package that helps you render out many, many, many different numbers or like um, elements help, helps, helps rendering like thousands of different elements on a page. Okay. You have a package for that. Well, maybe it's a really big package because it's complex. If you do this in a server component, right, it's going to help you render those pages or, and, the, and those elements, but it's not going to ship any of that code from that package, that dependency to the client. So it reduces the amount that's shipped to the client if you use it on the server. Other than that, so those four main use cases that, that Next.js has themselves outlined, most other things will be client regular React components. So when we're thinking about it like this, most of your application is going to be client-side rendered or, client, or server-side rendered or whatever. It's not going to be a server-only component. Okay? So... The paradigm only changes for you when you need these four main things. Everything else, you put a use client on top, you put a, a bunch of ch child components in there, and then you can use your on clicks, your on changes, all your event listeners, your, your lifecycle hooks, like use state, use reducer, use effect, use context, whatever, browser only APIs, custom hooks for data fetching or data, whatever, like React Query or TRPC, everything else you can use as if it's a regular React component, because as soon as you put use client up there, it is a regular React component. So for the most part, other than some static pages and some data fetching, you're going to be using React components in your application regardless. So this is just, again, bringing it back a little bit. This is just another tool to serve some more complex use cases rather than a complete an utter paradigm shift. The only thing that kind of hinders that is because the app router has decided to make it so that everything is by default a server component. So you have to go in and know when to use what rather than it being a client component or a server-side render component and then having server components be the thing that you would add. Um, I, I can see the reasoning for it because it's it like, ideally you want everything to be server-side rendered, I guess. But overall, that's the only th I think that's a thing that's catching a lot of people. 
Okay, so we talked about server components. Hopefully you understand the generic concept of what they are, um, basically running something running on the server. Let's talk about the drama a little bit because this week there's been a lot of back and forth with the React community and other de and developers. And uh, some people are happy, some people are angry, whatever. First thing here is Next.js is technically using a unstable Canary version of React under the hood in their stable version of Next. Okay, so a lot of people have brought this up, being like, hey, is this a good idea to use in production if what you're using under the hood is something that could, first of all, what, what does Canary mean? What does uh, unstable mean? That means that core APIs could change. So the, the, especially the, the server-side component stuff, the server component stuff, sorry, can the API in React can change because it's an unstable version. Now, Having said that, this is not this is not necessarily as bad as it sounds because Next has done a lot of their own changes around the adapter for server components. So when you're using server components in Next.js, it's very very different experience than using them in pure React. And what they've done is that they've made it so that any change that happens down the line when the stable version comes out of server components, they will be able to backport it easily into the exact same API that you're using right now in Next.js. So that's why they decided to make that decision of being like, okay, yes, we're using the Canary version of these React server components in React, but we can always go in and change the API uh, for the users so that they don't have to actually change anything in their application. So it's stable for us. That's their decision. They've done a lot of testing around it. And I think... Overall, it, it does make sense. Like, yes, they are betting on this a little early, sure, but they saw great benefits from it and they decided to go all in. And I don't think that the fact that they're using this Canary version is, the, is a hindrance to the actual platform. Now, if you don't know what you're doing with server-side rendering, we mentioned this a, little, a few times, you can get really vague and bad error messages. So if you don't know what you're doing in general with like how clients and servers work and full stack development, it can be difficult to develop in this concept. Okay. And on top of that, it does not have proper error handling as well as it should. And it will. At some point, it's going to have better error messages. Right now, if you're doing something client related in the server, it's not going to give you an error saying, hey, you should not be doing this client related stuff in the server. It's just going to give you some generic server error. So as a person that doesn't understand the, the separation between the two, it's difficult to debug your application. You're going to get some weird errors that aren't as descriptive as you're used to in React. React is really good at error handling being like, hey, you're using use effect too many times here, et cetera, et cetera, or whatever. Like it has a really good way of explaining why the current React, the, the React concepts that you're using are not used correctly. This won't happen in server components right now. You will get generic server-side errors and server-side errors are different than client-side errors because they come in the console of your dev of your dev uh, environment, okay? They don't come in the browser console. They come in a different place. So again, it's you have to learn this concept. And this is, this is a thing that people are kind of upset about, okay? So they... they I don't know if it's the, they don't want to learn it or if it's just another thing on top, like Matt was saying, like another thing for them to learn and with all these other millions of things to learn, like it makes sense. Like, yeah, it's, it, it is another thing that you have to conquer. Now, if you know the difference between server and client, it's not that bad 
Because again, like I mentioned before, you're not going to be doing that many things on the server when you know when to use it and when not to use it. And most of the things that you're going to be doing that are going to cause an error are most likely going to be server-related things like fetching data, like APIs and auth and stuff like that. And that stuff does have proper error messaging. So it, again, requires a little bit of depth, a little bit of learning, um, but it, it is something that you can do and then avoid having this serious situation of like, I can't debug my application. Next thing here is Next.js is technically owned by Vercel. People think that pushing server components, since Vercel is a server hosting platform, they are trying to lock users in to their platform and make it so that you have to use more of their servers, essentially pay them more money to use the same product. That's what people were saying. Yeah, it's it's a little bit sketchy for when you say it like that, but from the from from the uh, experiences that people have already had in production applications of these server components, for the most part, if you're using them correctly, uh, Theo from T3.gg, he has used them in I think six applications already or something like that. I'm gonna link a couple of videos or at least at least his his channel in the show notes. He goes in really in depth into server components. He does a really good job of explaining them and demoing them. And he talks about real production use cases of them. He's noticed an actual decrease in the amount of server usage. And why? We talked about it before. Caching. A lot of data calls, a lot of that server-side rendering stuff, you don't have to do as much. It's just serving data. It's just serving HTML and CSS a lot of the time. So if you're using it correctly, you're actually doing the opposite of what Vercel would want. And you're creating a very a much more efficient application that's using less servers, and therefore you're paying them less money. Um, so I I don't see this as I don't see this as a connection. I don't like personally. I don't see Vercel as the bad guy in this situation where they're pushing server components to try to make people use Vercel because you can use server components in other places. Obviously, you don't you're not locked into Vercel on this case. And the last one here, and probably the the most, um, the one that I agree with the most and the one that most people I think agree with the most is that React libraries don't work natively with server components. And this is a big one. React is known as a thriving ecosystem that has thousands upon thousands of really good libraries that hook into React hooks and hook into their UI and do everything, uh, do a lot for you. And currently, they all those libraries would almost have to rewrite significant portions of their code to support this method of development. Okay, to support server components inherently. So if you want to create, if you want to use like a UI library um, on in a server component and create like you know have have a, a UI piece from that library show up, you can't do that right now. At least not in, uh, there might be some out, like outliers that do support it already, but for the most part, major UI libraries do not support server components because they don't support CSS and JS. And a lot of what they rely on is being able to dynamically put in different props and variables into your CSS using JavaScript. Server components don't support that yet. Boom, you got that. Un- can't use it. And same with any library that relies on a hook. So use state, like we said, all the React hooks don't aren't supported in uh, server components, so boom, you're they're gone. 
So that leaves very few React libraries that you can use in the React Server components. And you're taking away one of React's most probably important features for a lot of developers that are trying to build something quickly. That This one's going to be a little bit difficult to overcome. Um, as, as they progress, as they become more popular, it might get better. But the reality is that might take some time. And uh, obviously, developers are going to have to somehow be incentivized to do that. So adoption ha- will have to be pretty high for developers to be like, okay, I'm going to go back to my open source library that I haven't touched in a year and adapt it for server components. So this is the biggest question mark. This is the drama that I think is real more than all of them. I think it is, it's not insurmountable. And there are still use cases for server components because again, if you, if it, the library is not working with that specific server component make it a use client and you get around it, you can still use server components like for stuff that doesn't require any library, but if you're if you're deep into a UI ecosystem, like uh, I think uh, I'm not I'm not sure I'm not sure of any like really big UI libraries off the top of my head. I know Shaden, ShadeCN. Um, I'm not sure if they support server components. But anyway, there's some really big ones on the React side of things that people use like religiously that just don't support it yet, and that is I think that's a showstopper for a lot of people. The sort of like. I guess the summary that I'm getting as an outsider, I've never actually used React myself, but as an outsider kind of looking in and hearing Mike talk and us having this, this debate discussion, um, it kind of just sounds like to me and correct me if I'm wrong here, Mike, that this was done too quickly. This was done sort of rashly. It's sort of like, Hey, this is a cool new feature. And it's almost like they did it, uh, in a way that I would describe as sort of ripping the bandaid off. Let's just do it without realizing, oh my God, like there's a bunch of backwards compatibility stuff. There's this, there's that. There's like even the debugger, like you were saying, isn't the greatest at the moment. And it's sort of, uh, it's sort of like the opposite of what WordPress often gets um, faulted for, which is WordPress is almost backwards compatible to a fault sometimes where they're, it's almost like WordPress is the technologies inside of it are almost like struggling with each other to like kind of get through. Same with windows really is windows is trying to be backwards compatible to the point where things are absolutely being cut. You can find examples left, right and center of programs that used to work even 10 years ago that don't work now. But in general, I mean, like Mike and I have had this discussion about windows a hundred times where why, why is slash was the control panel kicking around? I don't remember if it's in windows 11, but it is. So, like, why is the control panel kicking around when you have this new setting screen? Like, what is going on here? And it's sort of like WordPress kind of has that mantra where it it, it tries to be backwards compatible to a fault, um, arguably to a fault. It's almost like this situation here, this dramatic situation, um, they just kind of did it. It was sort of like, let's just go. woo! And then, like, is is that is that an accurate uh, sort of? very simple summarization of, of what this drama sort of is kind of, uh, yes, kind of, but not, not entirely because you can still use the old version, like not the old version. Sorry. We could in this version, you can still use the pages router, which is nothing to do with server components. Do you think that that the pages router, and again, this could be a stupid question. Do you think that it is on the way out? Even if it's not like tomorrow, even if it's like in, in two years, three years, is it on its way out? Is this the beginning of the end of the pages router? Because again, I'm an outsider, but it sounds like it's pretty darn critical right now. Yeah. So like, like tomorrow, no, uh, a year from now, probably not, but I'm, I hesitate to reach any farther than that. So two years from now, would they support both routers? I just, 
it would be too much of a, a strain on on the Next.js team to continue to support these routers indefinitely, in my opinion. Um, I, I have not heard any confirmation from the Next.js team. I want to say this is completely my opinion. Uh, but I think potentially, yes, down the line, one of these routers is not going to be around. And with how they're betting on app router, probably the pages router is going to go away. Now, it could be three years from now. So it might not matter to you, um, but it could be sooner. I don't know. So in that way, yes, they're, they're they're going at it a little bit too quickly, in my opinion. Again, I think the mis- maybe not mistake, but the the thing that we're talking about right now is the fact that they went from next thirteen to next thirteen point four from beta to stable on the out router side. I think that was a little bit too fast, for sure. They could have left it. They could have left it in beta all the way till next 14, maybe next year sometime. I don't think there would have been anything wrong with that. Um, And people might disagree of being like, okay, they they tested it thoroughly and it was stable for them and people should use it stably. Because adding that stable tag to it, that means production. Use it in production. That's what Next.js is saying at that point. If you want, you can use it in production. Again, key is if you want, but still, they're endorsing it. So if someone were to use it in production and then run into issues which I think has happened a couple of times, but I don't know if it's fully like the app router's fault or the fact that there just isn't a lot of documentation around the app router right now. Like it is early. It is really early in the react in the server component saga, especially with Next.js. They could have waited a little bit longer. That might've helped the, the sentiment around it, but they're in on it. Like they're fully in on it. And I can respect that. Like they, they did a lot of testing. They like it a lot. And they want people to use it as much as possible. And it, it is a good pair. Like, it is a really cool feature. Um, now, the big question, like, and I'll end with this, is would I use it right now in production? Uh, well, no, because I'm not a React developer. Like, the reality is, is that I still like the paradigm of SvelteKit and how they handle the separation of server and client better than a mix of the two kind of in one with the server component stuff. I see the benefits of it for sure. And I've mentioned that a lot in this episode, but I personally would still not use it if I had the choice. I think this, and, and you know, we're not going to do this today, obviously, but I think that this leads us uh, to another sort of topic that I'd love to cover actually. And that is uh, in the same vein as the reinvention of the wheel, but I'd love for us to do an analysis episode one day of even if it's a, an historical example of moving from like frame framework, you know, enter framework name version one here to enter framework name version two here and to talk about, you know, how much work and how much uh, struggle and those type of things that, that you have to go through. Because at the end of the day, you know, the framework is what's updating, but your app might not be. And so now instead of you putting time into the next feature update, you're sitting there messing around trying to get your your framework to work in the same way, though, that something like a, like a traditional like a WordPress, for example, would you might be messing with a plugin for days on end when you could be writing the next blog post. And so I think that would be kind of a cool episode of kind of a cool back and forth on that. Uh, if we can find some historical examples of that or if anything or if there's like one coming up and it happens like, like you know, kind of live um, or not live, but happens, you know, soon, then we could maybe discuss that. But just an idea that's kind of stemmed from this episode, because it kind of sounds like it's a topic that's almost being, you know, 
it's it's a it's a thing that happens behind closed doors that many people are probably not going to talk about because it's going to happen mainly or largely to apps that are sort of behind closed doors. They're NDA'd or you know they're not like the code base isn't public, um, and it's not happening to sort of at least nothing that I've seen that's like big where people are like, oh my god, you know we we had to spin up a whole other. We had to spin up a whole other team just to just to help us with the migration or something crazy like that because it's the argument between or it's the argument or the 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 time split between get making sure your technology is updated and in order versus making sure that the content that's going on that website or web app is being innovated on and new features are coming out or features are being fixed up. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that, Mike, but. Yeah, I would love to do a concept, on a, a topic on that. I would love to hear from the audience if they want to hear us like talk about an upgrade from one version to another version of a framework. I There is a lot of interesting stuff that goes into that, uh, including testing, including like prep work and stuff like that. And a lot of I, I've done it before is what I'm saying. Like I've done it multiple times. A lot of it is very boring. I just I do want to mention that a lot, like especially if there's like some change that you have to make in like every file, but you can't you know, find and replace it. That's boring stuff. Like you have to do that, you do it, but it's boring. But some of it is kind of interesting in the sense that, hey, this has changed for the better. Still backwards compatible, but should we change it? Like you have to make those decisions. So again, reach out to us uh, at HTML, everything on Twitter, at HTML, at HTML, all the things on Instagram, and let us know if you're interested in a topic that kind of dives deeper into that concept. Yes, 100%. And I think that concludes this episode. Drama covered. I've learned a bunch. Hopefully you did as well. And it's time to thank our $3 tier patrons. If you would like to become a $3 or less tier patron, you can do so at patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. I think there's only two tiers right now. There's a $1 tier and a $3 tier. And thank you to these people that are on the $3 tier. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on blueblackdigital.com. Tim from the Web Hacker on the webhacker.com. Bip hashtash 9blockmedia, 9blockmedia.com. Jason from Geek Life Radio via geekliferadio.com Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca Magnus from YesWeb via yesweb.se Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff and Kale Fire Ant Season via fireantseason.com Gunner Burnett via gunnerburnett.com and Watoto Coding via watotocoding.com Feel free to leave a comment or review on the platform you're listening to this on and this outro will sign us off You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.